This is Good Together, the podcast that inspires you to create change in the world every day. Keep listening for actionable tips and tricks to incorporate eco-friendly practices into your daily life. We've been featured by Apple as the number one podcast for conscious consumers, and we can't wait to welcome you into our community of changemakers. I'm Lisa. And I'm Laura. We're the founders of Brightly.eco, the new platform for conscious consumers. We believe in supporting all creatures, great and small. And our team of experts show you how to live and shop responsibly by sharing world-changing lifestyle ideas, products, and more. To read show notes from Good Together and to browse all of the planet-friendly goodness that we feature, head to brightly.eco slash podcast. And to help spread the word about the podcast, tap on this episode and share Good Together with your friends and family. A simple text message helps us grow and create change around the world. This episode is brought to you by Sheets and Giggles. Laura, you've probably heard me talk all the time about my love for Sheets and Giggles. I've been sleeping on their new sustainable eucalyptus sheets for the past eight months straight. I recommend them a thousand percent. Every week I wash them and put them back on the bed right away. They're my go-to sheets. All of my other sheets, even the ethical ones, are taking a long break. After hearing you rave about them for so long, Lisa, I finally got a chance to try their new eucalyptus comforter. So I'm a weirdo. I really like having a comforter on my bed all the time, even when we have the heat blasting. I haven't woken up once hot while I was using this one from Sheets and Giggles. It's a great ethical and sustainable alternative to the down comforter we used to use that's now sitting on our guest bed. Another thing I love about Sheets and Giggles is that they don't use plastic packaging and the materials don't use pesticides, so they're kind to our animal and insect friends. They also plant a tree for each sheet set that is sold, and they are passionate about giving back. They give 10% off to customers who donate their old sheets to homeless shelters, and they have donated over $40,000 to Colorado COVID relief. Good Together listeners get 15% off by using the code BRIGHTLYECO at SheetsGiggles.com. This episode is brought to you by Real Paper, tree-free toilet paper made from 100% bamboo. Our community has been asking us about paper-free swaps for items around the house, so this alternative to traditional toilet paper is right up our alley. I don't know about you, Laura, but I always run out of toilet paper. Me too, and I love that Real Paper delivers direct to your home while also using plastic-free packaging. It makes stuff so much easier. Also, while you probably haven't considered the environmental impact of your bathroom habits, unfortunately, over 27,000 trees are flushed down the toilet every day across the world. That's a lot of waste. And by using paper that comes from bamboo, you're supporting a product made out of renewable, eco-friendly resource. It's also super soft, and I couldn't tell a difference between the 100% bamboo paper and what I'm used to. Good Together listeners get 25% off your first order by using code BRIGHTLY at realpaper.com. That's R-E-E-L paper.com. When you look around your home and consider adding a new rug or pillow to the mix, 
you're probably thinking about colors, textures, and how your new piece of decor can fit into your lifestyle. Unfortunately, the interior decor and rug industry doesn't give us the same warm and fuzzy feeling we're all expecting to get when we're sitting at home. In the textile manufacturing industry, child labor is shockingly common. Children in this industry make products like rugs, carpets, bedding, towels, and clothing. The exploitation of child labor is especially common in South and Southeast Asian countries like India, Pakistan, Afghanistan, Nepal, and Bangladesh. Goodweave International has been leading the charge against child labor for 25 years with an on-the-ground approach to certifying textile supply chains. In this episode, we chat with Goodweave CEO Nina Smith to learn about how Goodweave is protecting children from exploitation and helping them access education. And we also talk about what consumers can do to help. For show notes and more, head to brightly.eco slash podcast. Hi, welcome to Get uh, Good Together. So today we're discussing a very difficult topic, but also a very important one, child labor. For many, or really most of us, children's issues and rights are the most sacred ones, yet here we are living in the 21st century where child labor still exists. According to UNICEF, one in 10 children around the world falls victim to child labor. This is unacceptable truth, and we hope that this conversation will inspire you to learn more about the issue and start taking action. Well, and since neither Laura or I are experts on this topic, we invited a true industry leader, labor and children's rights advocate, and the CEO of Goodweave International, Nina Smith. So without further ado, Nina, please briefly introduce yourself to our audience and tell us about all the important work you and the Goodweave team are doing. Well, thank you so much, Lisa and Laura, for inviting me to talk to you today. Um, I'm the CEO of Goodweave International, and we are in our 25th year of operation. We're the leading organization wow. working to stop child labor in global supply chains. And uh, at the heart of our work is actually a consumer label that individuals can look for on products, uh, which began um, appearing on carpets and rugs, as I said, about 25 years ago. And that label has a little symbol on it and a traceable number that assures the end purchaser that the product was made without child labor. And how we do that um, on the ground in South Asia um, is quite complex and involves having, uh, we're really a ground organization. We have field-based teams in India, Nepal, and Afghanistan, and soon Bangladesh. And those teams work um, within the supply chains of participating companies to uh, really map the supply chains, which most consumers don't know the products you purchase come from sometimes um, production sites that aren't very visible. Uh, so our teams work to um, make that supply chain visible, starting in factories and to all the outsourced places where production goes, even sometimes to home-based worker communities, which is quite common in South Asia. And we apply rigorous standards around child labor and forced labor criteria. Um, we often identify problems in the supply chain, cases of child labor, sometimes trafficking cases, 
And uh, we have a, a set of protocols that are followed to ensure especially children are protected in those circumstances. We work on rescuing and rehabilitating those children. And we also implement in the communities where the products are being produced, prevention programs that have traditionally focused on getting children into school and advancing in school and keeping them out of work. So it's very holistic. And, and all of that is um, hits the stores with a little symbol on a product, but there's a lot happening on the ground. To date, we've directly rescued more than 7,600 children, wow. child labor in the carpet industry, which is our main mm -hmm. um, focus uh, sector, has reduced by about 80% since we've started, from 1 million to about 200,000 children. And we have 180 plus uh, importers and retailers around the world that partner with us to get this work done. And the products are now widely available. Um, carpets carry our certification as well as home textiles and coming soon other products. I love that Goodweave is so visible to consumers this way. This is actually how I found out about the work you guys were doing. I noticed the tag on a rug. I can't remember exactly where it was. It might have been West Elm. I can't remember. But regardless, I think the fact that this certification exists is just a really, really good way to raise awareness into the child labor system, specifically in the rug industry. But I know that you guys also go throughout the rest of the, the home textile industry. So um, Nina, I wonder if you can tell us why, uh, really what child labor is and mm. why does it seem to be, um, you know, so widespread in the rug industry specifically? Well, uh, luckily, we've made a lot of progress in, in the rug industry. So there are about 152 million children working in the global economy today. And I will say that numbers down when we first started that, this work, the number was 220 million. So oh, there's wow. been a lot of progress in this um, fight to end child mm -hmm. labor. And we find that it's a really, child labor is quite prevalent um, in countries and industries where informal labor is tapped. So what that means is the products are typically not made inside of mechanized factories. There's a lot of handwork involved, um, perhaps different communities of workers are involved in different processes to do with that product. In the case of carpets, the, the, um, the skills that um, often women have to make these products um, make it possible for them to work in their home communities without having to commute. They are to some other factory. They're working sometimes in rural villages or in small production units close to home. So that's, so often children get pulled into the work, but then, um, you know, working at the family level. So sometimes you see it happening in um, within family. Um, but then also, again, because of the informality and lack of uh, structure and codes and application of laws, uh, children are also, like in the case of a country like India, children are a big pool to pull from 
for industries where it's hard to get workers. So in, in this case, also in carpets, there is a lot of trafficking that occurs from cross-border trafficking from one state in India into another. So there are multiple reasons why you see it manifest. We, we break it down into home-based, family-based labor, hired child labor, and then trafficking of children. And we see all of it. And, and, it, and it really is happening where you have a coming together of low-income families that are desperate to put food on the table, lack of proper education infrastructure, and, um, and industries and sectors that are informal that don't really adhere to global labor practices. Yeah, this makes sense. It's actually um, something I wanted to ask you about. Like, uh, it's first of all so impressive uh, the work that you're doing because of the complexity of the system and the informality of the sector. Right? I've traveled to India and um, Nepal um, what two years ago, and yeah, I can observe that. And it's like how difficult it is to kind of be able to observe some kind of rules, global standards, while, uh, you know, these workers, artisans, they're actually working from their homes. They're not coming to a factory in one place. Um, but also I'm curious uh, to learn what is your stance of like I'm child labor, obviously in our head, it's very defined, right? But again, when uh, I visited artisans in different sectors, like even in Mexico, you know, the children are always with their parents, right? Uh, they do want to help out. Um, parents can use their help. Where is that, like, kind of the fine line? What is child labor and what is not? I like, I guess for me personally, I was thinking to myself, you know, as long as the ch children are able to go to school, to learn, to study, have, you know, children's uh, experience, and they sometimes help out their, you know, families, that's okay. But I'm curious what what's the... <laughs> Correct. Yeah, standards. yeah, that's that's about right. Um, the um, uh, global conventions uh, make uh, child define child labor as fourteen and under. So first of all, the age of the child is important, and then a lot of countries actually have a, a fifteen year old minimum working age, and so we always um, go with whatever the whatever the national law dictates. So it's 14 or higher in, in our case. And then um, if the child is going to school full time and is helping out around the house, um, that is acceptable. But in, in the case of Goodweave, we have to have verification that they're going to school, they're enrolled, they're attending, and yeah. they're advancing the way a child should. Yeah, absolutely. I, in general, I think just, you know, for our listeners to understand the context of what um, is happening as we, you know, think through the the um, issues that are arising in the industry, I think the, the minimum age is, is really just key, I think, for us to think through as, you know, the, the problem itself um, just continues to manifest in this conversation. And so, I'm actually curious about how Goodweave specifically has really just gone about fulfilling its mission of eliminating child labor in the rug industry. So you mentioned when you first started out that the global figures of, um, you know, of 
children that were being affected, um, you know, by by participating in the in the labor industry was much higher. So, what are some of the things that Goodweave has done to um, to eliminate child labor in the rug industry? Yeah, so we have, um, you know, it took us some years to really establish this model that we've we implement now, and we've created a real expertise in, in the field. And the way we do it, we think about it, it, it all starts with our company partners. So we sign up a company into our program. And it's actually, I think of it as the most powerful moment in the process, because we can't do what we do without having that kind of partnership from a company. And that company will then require their suppliers in country to also become affiliated with Goodweave and essentially agree to open up their factories and their full supply chains to our assessments. And our team on the ground, we're mostly a field-based organization. We have very specialized skills in our team to know how to go in and look at these supply chains, look at the um, production levels and identify where there are uh, where there might be undisclosed production happening to map the full supply chain and then that we conduct random unannounced inspections throughout the supply mm-hmm. chain. So it's the element of surprise that can create a real deterrent effect number one because, Suppliers who are caught with repeat violations or who don't allow access to our team basically risk losing their business and losing their buyers. So it can be quite powerful, um, a a powerful motivator for the um, suppliers in country to really cooperate with this process. But we don't approach it like police. We approach it in a, um, I would say, a supportive way in the sense that we try to build the knowledge and capacity of those suppliers not to employ children in the future. So we educate them about the laws. We educate them about global labor standards. We provide them with resources to be able to recruit of age workers. So um, it's there's a change process that happens because we don't want to be doing what we do forever. And, you know, we do have um, data that shows after we've been working with a particular brand and their suppliers for, let's say a year, the supply chain fundamentally gets cleaned up. There may be a problem here and there in the future, but fundamentally there's a change process that occurs. And, um, To that end, the change process occurs both in the expectations of the buyers and the way the buyers are sourcing their products, as well as how the manufacturers are going about making the products. And for us, the final steps that are really critical is when we do find cases of child labor, we we remove and rehabilitate, especially children who have been trafficking victims, and through long-term support of those children can show how they can break uh, intergenerational cycles of poverty and illiteracy that cause child labor. So we're creating examples all along the way to show it doesn't have to be this way. And then, um, you know, offer alternatives for children in those communities. So it's quite complete um, and it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, um, we've often been, 
criticized for, I don't know, criticized isn't the right word, but, you know, we're called niche because it's not easy to do that work. It's very labor intensive. Oh, absolutely. But yeah. anyway, that's... <laughs> yeah, no, I love it. I love the holistic approach. And exactly that's kind of, uh, that's exactly explains why you uh, quote unquote niche, but it's just such a, an incredible amount of work to uh, accomplish. Um, so and I also love, love how you said, you know, you don't see yourself as like existing forever. Like, I love the idea that like nonprofits, um, especially with a specific goal, right? Your goal is to eliminate child labor. They kind of work to um, get themselves out of work, essentially, right? <laughs> Ideally, we we want to imagine a world where there will be completely no child labor, right? And um, we can start addressing a different pro- uh, problem. Exactly. So, yeah. So uh, I'm curious about why your work specifically with Goodweave is um, revolving specifically around uh, Southeast Asia, right? Nepal, India, Afghanistan, and Pakistan. Is it because of the nature of, because again, you're uh, focused on rug industry specifically, or there are some other reasons for it too? Well, um, the main reason we work in South Asia is because our founder is from India. His oh. name is Kailash Satyarthi, and he actually won the Nobel Peace Prize in 2014 for oh, his wow. life's work in, um, in, in working to end child labor. So Goodweave is one of many initiatives that he helped to start in this fight against child labor. And he's also responsible some, for some very important conventions that have passed through the International Labor Organization and for major global advocacy campaigns for children. So he started this work in the carpet industry for two main reasons. One is that the carpet industry had a a huge number of child laborers in in India at that time when he was getting started. And it was a critical export sector for India. So it was in, in, the model really depended on consumers in other countries really demanding a stop for this, and and instead of having a, a boycott of products, using a kind of boycott approach where people could look for a label and help to make a difference in this problem and create a kind of market demand for child labor-free products that was possible in a major export sector at the time. So those were the main reasons. And and his goal was to create a model program to show it was possible. It's not necessarily to work on every product in every sector, but for us to really be able to show, look, you can do this. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. I think in general, um, you know, understanding what the the roots of, of why you were doing this and and, and how it came to be is super important. And of course, everyone who tackles a big problem like this gets started in different ways, but I think it's super fascinating. Um, so I wonder, Nina, if you could tell us a little bit about scale. So we we talked a little bit earlier about how you work with companies. I'd be curious to know, and of course, this does not have to be exact, just maybe ballpark. If you can let our listeners know, like, you know, roughly how many companies Goodweave is working with, um, how many products you think potentially might have that certification um, and would love to know a little bit about, you know, if you have faced challenges in scaling up this impact in your operations, I think it'd be interesting to know. So I was in the shower the other day and started thinking, 
Isn't that where all of the best ideas start? Exactly. So yeah, I was in the shower and looking at all the bottles sitting around. And then I started to think about the waste I was creating with all of these different products. Yeah, it's pretty staggering to think about the amount of plastic we use around the bathroom and for our beauty habits. I've been trying to reduce my personal plastic use, and it's been super difficult to say the least. That's why I was super excited when Plain Products reached out to have us partner with them. Absolutely. So Plain Products is a company on a mission to revamp your routine with toxin-free formulas served up in refillable aluminum bottles. That's my favorite part. You order whatever you need, shampoo, conditioner, they have it all, and they mail it to you in an aluminum bottle. It's a really cool system. And by the way, the hand lotion and hand sanitizer I got from them smells amazing and has left my skin super soft. Anyway, once you're done with the product, you can order a refill and you send back your empty bottle to them for free instead of tossing it in the trash. I love this. They also have lots of certifications that we love it brightly. They are a B Corp, Leaping Bunny certified, cruelty-free and vegan, and they're also a member of 1% for the planet. And Lisa, you know I love a good certification. It really authentically demonstrates how committed a company is to doing good. Yep, and so far, Plain Products has kept over 200,000 plastic bottles out of landfills and oceans, thanks to people like you and our listeners who care about the packaging waste they generate. Good Together listeners can get 20% off their purchase by using the code BRIGHTLY at plainproducts.com. That's P-L-A-I-N-E, don't forget the E, products.com. This episode is brought to you by Sheets and Giggles, a company with a punny name but a seriously sustainable mission to make better bedding for everyone. We started partnering with Sheets and Giggles earlier this year, and the positive reviews from our community keep coming in. I've been on a hunt for sustainable bedding for a long time now until Brightly actually recommended Sheets and Giggles. I would highly recommend. The material is great. Uh, I personally tend to get hot at night and my boyfriend tends to get cold. So it definitely serves as a happy medium. Highly recommend. I also get hot at night and I found that after sleeping with Sheets and Giggles moisture wicking sheets over the past few months, I can't remember the last time I woke up overheated. I love my Sheets and Giggles sheets. They're my absolute favorite. Not only because they're super duper soft, but they are sustainably and ethically made out of eucalyptus. Yep, I love that our scout Ashley called out how soft the sheets and giggle sheets are. Plus, the eucalyptus that is in their 400 thread count sheets is grown without insecticides or pesticides. They also just launched a bunch of new colors, and I can't choose between navy blue and red. Help me! Sheets and Giggles bedding is super lightweight and soft, and they really nail it on zero-waste packaging. We recommend Sheets and Giggles for the softest, most sustainable sleep out there. Good Together listeners get 15% off at checkout by using the code BRIGHTLYECO at SheetsGiggles.com. The Brightly community is full of conscious consumers who are always on the hunt for new brands and products that are planet-positive. A lot of the moms, aunties, and godparents in our community have been asking us to review an eco-friendly kids' clothing option for their little ones. We're excited to recommend Mightly, a sustainable children's clothing brand. First off, they're fair trade certified, which means that the factory that produces their clothing must adhere to rigorous social and environmental standards to protect their health and safety of workers. And Mightly pays an additional fair trade premium that benefits the workers in the factory. 
Plus, Mightley really cares about the materials that go into the making of their signature kids' pajamas, pants, and more. They use organic, rain-fed cotton grown without chemical pesticides or GMOs. It actually requires 70% less water than typical cotton. Plus, they work with artists to create cute prints and graphics that are unique. Mightly send a few of their best-selling products to Laura and I's best friends who are moms, and they really love the intentional design behind every piece. Mightly has included pockets everywhere, name tags, and they even have little hooks on their hoodies to make putting everything away easier. That's awesome. <laughs> Good Together listeners and their little ones can get 15% off by using the code BRIGHTLY at mightly.com. That's M-I-G- H-T-L-Y dot com. Yeah, so um, now we have close to 200 importers and retailers globally, I think in like 20 countries that have um, signed with Goodweave and you can find certified rugs in Target, Macy's, Restoration Hardware, as well as many um, European retailers and high-end design showrooms. So the product is widely available in, um, in key consumer markets around the world. And we have achieved a sort of scale within the carpet industry where we've seen massive reduction. I think of scale as from an impact standpoint, right? So maybe sure. we don't need rugs in every store that carry the Goodweave certification level label, but scale really looks like having a massive impact on the problem. So within the carpet industry, we're at that point and the work is merely uh, financially self-sustaining through fees that um, licensed companies pay to participate in the program, which is also really great. Um, we have expanded in two ways as an organization. And one way is by growing into new product categories. So now there's home textile products of all types that are coming on the market with our label, again, in several countries around the world. And we do have a program in apparel that's nascent, and we're trying to figure out um, whether we can and will credibly be able to certify products as child labor free in that in that newer program. So that's all happening. And the other way we think about scale is how do we promote as an organization these best practices we've developed and um and push for others to adopt them. So there there are many, many organizations around the world that are working to improve the sustainability of products, the social and environmental sustainability of products that are working in agriculture, coffee, tobacco, um, cotton, all kinds of other commodities where child labor is also an issue. And so part of what we're doing is promoting our approach directly through capacity building work that we're doing with other organizations, as well as advocacy and really trying to bring the data we have from the ground in terms of what do these supply chains really look like, who are the people making the goods we buy, and how do, um, not only how, what should consumers be demanding, but also what government should be requiring from companies to ensure that the supply chains are truly traced, 
fully traced and that that the um, labor conditions required by law, for example, to import into the U.S. are being met. So, Absolutely. you know, that's kind of a newer area for us, but it's really important that we bring that expertise we have to the um, kind of to the global arena through through really shifting others towards these practices. Yes, we talk a lot about the balance needed between, um, you know, governmental policies holding corporations accountable and then also consumers holding corporations accountable by, you know, making specific choices about where to shop, um, you know, perhaps contacting corporations and asking a little bit more about their supply chains. And so this actually just jogged a question for me in my mind, which was, you know, with the with the overall partners that you, um, you know, choose to you know, uh, you know, partner up with, for lack of a better word, how many of those corporations were, I mean, maybe not even how many, how, uh, wait, hold on, let me rephrase this. Um, of the corporations that you partner with, would you say that there is an appetite from their beha- their end, meaning they're reaching out to you and saying, we want to pursue this certification because we think it's the right thing? Or do you feel like there's been a change recently in terms of the amount of outreach that you've had from companies? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, when we first started this work, no one wanted anything to do with it. <laughs> It was not done. There was no uh, kind of, um, there were very few corporate responsibility programs, um, very few supply chain programs in the way there are today. Now it's almost a a crowded field. Um, So we really had to be out pounding the pavement and, and trying to cajole companies to get involved. And in the early days, it was really smaller companies that had an ethical agenda built into their business model that would get involved. So that was important in those days. We needed those early adopters to help us get product into the market that we could then promote to consumers and then really grow it that way. And then we would see their competitors would sign up because it became a norm within a segment of the market. In, in the case of carpets in the high-end luxury market. And from there, we were able to grow it. And then, you know, these issues started really coming into the spotlight, I would say, in around 2014 or so. And some important research reports were released that, that got press coverage. And there were also some new donors in the space, private foundations and uh, government agencies that were investing more resources and, um, and and then, you know, laws that were coming on the book. So there's sort of this momentum that was gained from all, you know, all these different directions. And um, I remember clearly, you know, one or two big brands we work with now getting involved after a very important report was released in quite publicly called Tainted Carpets out of Harvard University. And that was probably the first time we got a call from a a big company, you know, where they, they really wanted to work with us versus us having to um, track them down through investor relations or, you know, contacts we had. So it's, it, and now it's, it's an easier sell, you know, we might be at a trade show or at a global conference on these issues. And maybe now we're in a place where companies come to us. 
That's so great to hear. And I know it, it probably feels just like amazing after years and years of work, you know, finally your work is getting easier. Finally, the change is happening in front of your eyes. But yeah, there's been so many years that, uh, of work that had to be done before we can get to this new reality. Um, so one of the things we, as you know, we focus on the podcast on Good Together and, and Brightly in general, on actionable things that, you know, we as consumers can do can, uh, to change things for the better. So how do we as conscious consumers can make a difference in the rug industry and beyond in general in terms of like how can we prevent and minimize child labor? Well, those are good questions. I would say a few things. One. I mean, I always think as a rule, whether it's for carpets and home textiles or other products, buy less and buy to last. So uh, we know for sure in the apparel industry where we're, we've been learning a lot about how to work on these issues, that fast fashion is one of the causes of some of the labor exploitation that we see happening. And it's this this rapid change, rapid turnaround. Um, industry where suppliers suddenly get a big order, they don't have enough workers in the factory, they start outsourcing to places that aren't controlled properly for labor issues, and it goes on and on. So, you know, this kind of fast fashion approach, which is is moving into the home furnishing sector as well, it's not really helping. You know, it's, it's definitely um, feeding into these problems. So I think you know, I would say buy less, buy to last. If you're going to buy a rug for your home, maybe pay more, but plan to keep it. Um, and, and love it, you know, get something you love that you, you want to keep. But then, you know, more importantly, know what you're buying, especially for a high priced item like a rug, you know, do your research, understand where there are labor conditions and. Um, where there are, sorry, where, where there might be child labor or modern slavery conditions. And um, there are some resources that people can look to. So mm -hmm. there's um, U.S. Department of Labor, um, International Labor Affairs Bureau puts out an annual list called the, the List of Goods Made with Child Labor and Forced Labor. It's available on their website. It sounds kind of dry and boring, but it basically provides a list of products and countries that um, where child labor is prevalent and forced labor is prevalent. So you kind of know what products to avoid, or at least if you're going to be buying these products, to ask questions of the retailers where you're going and ask for third-party verification, credible third-party verification. So. Um, I think those are some things that people can do. Yeah, that's I love that you shared a resource because we're we're huge fans of of resource sharing here. And so we'll link to those in, in our show notes because I, I personally am gonna go check them out right when we get done with this. It sounds fascinating. So um, yeah, you know, and I, can I just ahead. add one thing that sure. um our website at goodweave.org has a function where um individuals can find online um shopping sites and um and retail stores where certified products are sold. 
Oh, that's awesome. So even better before you're, um, you know, going to go out and buy a rug or home decor or really other things, you can check out Goodweave's um, listing. That's that's amazing. Um, so Nina, I wonder if we can kind of end on a, a question we love to ask all of our guests, which is, what excites you the most about the ethical and sustainable lifestyle movement right now? Oops, sorry, you're muted, Nina. I don't know how that happened. Sorry. Yeah, about that. no worries. <laughs> um, the thing I'm excited about most is that these issues have become mainstreamed. So especially in the younger population, there's an, expect an automatic expectation that there's a greater level of transparency provided by retailers and brands to consumers. Uh, about how products are made, their origin, their environmentalist sustainability, and their human rights performance. So that just wasn't a thing when I was young. So it's really exciting to see that it's it's become mainstream to some degree. And I also think there's a really nice coming together right now between that between a lot of knowledge that's been gained over the last 25 years within individual companies, within associations that are working on these issues, within organizations like ours, to really build on. And, and now stronger, better laws are coming on the book. So it's really kind of a, a perfect storm moment in, in this industry. It's a, it's a really great time for change to happen. Absolutely. And, and again, it's exciting to see, you know, sustainability movement, environmental movement, you know, child labor free movement. Uh, I think just we as consumers, we became, finally became so, so much more educated and actually not afraid to uh, voice our concerns. And yeah. finally, corporations are listening, right? Yes, exactly. Exactly. And, and again, I, would, not, I would add there's some yeah. really good people inside those corporations. So, you know, we have to, I think, you know, 20 years ago, a lot of the people inside the companies who were managing uh, corporate responsibility issues tended to be lawyers. It used to be the legal counsel looking at these issues from a sort of compliance don't get in trouble with the law standpoint. Yeah. But now there are some people who have a lot of deep experience. Uh, working on these issues who are advancing from a much different place in terms of how can we get better? How can we reduce our footprint? How can we improve livelihood? So it's just a completely different orientation. Exactly. Yeah, it's a completely different way of thinking. I'm sorry about my dog. Can you hear no, her barking? No worries. We'll edit it out this part at least. Um, yeah. Okay, uh, so I think this was the last question that we wanted to ask you, and I think it's a perfect time uh, to end the episode on this kind of positive note. And thank you so much for all your work and for being on our podcast, Nina. Thank you so much. It was great to meet both of you, and I'm looking forward to following you, all your podcasts.
Thanks for joining us on another episode of Good Together. As always, you can get show notes and explore lots more content related to all things eco-friendly living by checking out brightly.eco slash podcast. And don't forget to join in on the conversation that's happening on our Facebook group. Simply search Good Together Ethical Shopping and it'll come up. You can also leave us a question through voicemail. The link is on brightly.eco slash podcast. If you're into social media, give us a follow on Instagram, Facebook, and all of the channels. Our username is brightly.eco. Finally, we want to leave you with a reminder. Every day is a chance for you to create change, and you're already covered for today since you joined us here on the podcast. Stay kind and live brightly.